Well, hello, founders. Welcome to another episode of The Gab Lab, a show that's designed to provide you with financial intelligence that will not only blow your mind, but that will build your bottom line. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and our episode champion for this round is Community Futures of Saskatchewan. They have 13 offices across the province to help founders build their business and nail their, uh, nail their numbers. That's what it's all about. So today's episode, we have Neil Jones with us. Thank you for being here, Neil. Neil is the Senior Vice President of Financial, uh, Financial Recovery Services for BDO Canada. And Neil, you have, um, dare I say, an alphabet after your name. We've got C-P-A-L-I-T-C-I-R-P. I'm wondering, because this is important to our founders today, understanding a little bit about those designations and what that what that means for them. So CPA. I might get in trouble if I actually get some of these wrong. Um, CPA is a chartered uh, professional accountant. Um, check. Yeah, check there. Um, CIRP is uh, I'm a chartered insolvency restructuring professional. And LIT, I'm a licensed uh, trustee, licensed okay. insolvency trustee. Yeah. So the insolvency word I know is going to hit a few bells for people listening in. This episode, in case anybody wants to know if you haven't guessed it yet, this is all about stress testing our numbers, stress testing our finances, because I know there's a lot of stress out there right now for founders. And um, Neil's with us today to kind of walk us through the process that he uses because I imagine there is uncertainty. A lot of you are feeling uncertain and you just don't even know what to do or how to do it. So, you know, when, when, with that word insolvency, um, you know, can you kind of clarify that, that process? Not necessarily the process, but what that would mean to a founder. Yeah, so essentially um, when people think about a chartered insolvency and restructuring professional or a licensed trustee, uh, they often think about liquidation. So, you know, a receivership where, where assets are liquidated for the benefit of creditors or, or a, a bankruptcy. Um, but often um, restructuring professionals get involved in what I call turnaround uh, work. So essentially we may be approached by a company, a debtor that is struggling and we would basically do um, financial analysis of their of their operations and their financials to uh, determine, I guess, potential paths forward, uh, what restructuring op options may be available to them. So, so I guess my message there would be, uh, we have a lot of experience uh, with with turnaround work as well. Beautiful. And I think it's important, I know when we start getting into um, liquidation and receivership, think for the founders to kind of wrap their head around, there's definitely things you can do, right, as a founder to be proactive in the situation versus just reactive. The, 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 the receivership, receivership, that's something more that the, you know, a, a lender is going to take action on, right, to kind of, you know, hit the button and try to recoup what, what, whatever expenses they can from, from that loan. So I so appreciate you being here because I think what's really important for founders to take away from this is you don't need to wait for things to happen to you. You can take ownership of this process, regardless of, of what it's going to look like, but taking ownership of it and, um, you know, being aware of the steps 
involved so that you can get rid of that, that fear and stress? You can definitely be proactive. And essentially when, when I was asked about this episode, you know, uh, stress testing financials, um, I kind of like to think of it as a a health check for financials, but essentially I would, I'm going to outline what I look for and the process I go through when I help a company uh, with, with a potential turnaround. And I think, I think it will be helpful for your fan founders to, I guess, hear that process because they, they should be able to um, replicate that uh, internally in house to make sure they stay on top of their, uh, the financial health of their, their, their company. Well, Neil, you've just, you've, you've, you've let us into the segue perfectly because I love to frame it for founders listening as, as always with every episode, we break it down into three different segments so that it's not, you know, 60 minutes of content that you're going to have to listen to all at once. So Neil, you're first going to walk us through what you call, this is your process, but scenario analysis. So taking a look at kind of what's happening right now and the what ifs of what could happen down the road and how that would impact our bottom line, because our through line is always bottom line on this show. And then the second segment is going to be about some of the key ratios. So better understanding our present situation and what's, what's that looking like in any possible flags there. And then the third segment is kind of this reinvention or restructuring some of the options that uh, entrepreneurs or founders might have at their uh, disposal to restructure if needed, if they can't manage and mitigate what they, what they currently have. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. And in speaking with you, you know, one of the things that, you know, I kind of took away from our last conversation, I've been giving it lots of thought is, you know, your work is, um, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, first of all, and thank you for what you do. Because as we were talking about, you're like a you're like an ER doctor, right? And triage, people aren't coming to you when everything's great. People are coming to you when there's pain points and and uh, a lot of frustration and a lot of pain. And I think what's what's important through all of this too for for founders, I've got my behavioral finance hat on right now, but as human beings, we're typically not motivated to do the work we need to do until our back is against the wall, until we're in the corner. And COVID is, uh, it did not cause the financial fragility that we're seeing now across the country. It just exposed it. So I see this as a learning opportunity for founders to actually really get to the heart of their numbers, what their numbers have been saying all along, and to find a way to, to, to build going forward, to rebuild so that there's some um, financial viability and, and success and traction there and will allow them to weather the storms that come along. But Lord forbid, not another pandemic. I don't think we can do that. Right. Well, you know, it's a lot of times, uh, you know, what I'm going to explain is, is going to take some rolling up your sleeves and getting a little, get your hands dirty a little bit in Excel. Um, you know, that might scare some people, but it's also a great tool to help with financial planning. And I often tell people, you know, the, the most complicated calculation I do in, in a day is probably division. So it's, it's not, you know, the calculations aren't that hard. It's more or less just trying to understand what the numbers mean. Yes, that's a good point. Excel does all the formulations, right? You've got the calculations, so understanding those and then interpreting the data. Exactly. You're right, right? Like interpreting the data and understanding what it means. Okay, so step one for you, founder comes in, pain point, I'm feeling stressed, I don't know what to do. 
you talk about situation analysis. So what does that, what does that look like? Before, before I get into um, scenario analysis, essentially the first thing I would look at is uh, trends for the company's financial performance. And when I say financial performance, what I mean is essentially analyzing their income statement for a period of time. Um, usually that's, you know, to find trends, you want at least three years, but if, if, the, if the data is available, you want to go as far as five years if you can. So essentially plotting your, your income statement in Excel over a three or five year period and really try to understand the trends. Um, so, you know, when you, when you have this um, Excel uh, worksheet built, break it down as much as you can, as, you know, as much as reasonably uh, can be performed. Um, it could be, you know, by division. It could be uh, by major product lines. Um, it could be, you know, company um, as a whole. But um, the more detail you have, generally, the, the more, I guess, detailed financial information you'll have to, to make those decisions. Can I ask you two questions there, Neil? Sure. Sure. So the first question, when you're saying breaking it down, I think oftentimes our expenses are broken down, but you're, are you referring to like our revenue streams or our profit centers, really understanding what's generating revenue, what our top line is in that space? What I'm referring to usually is, and you know, internals may be different than external financials, but I would start with the, the breakdown from your reviewed or audited statements. Okay year by year for three or five years. Okay. If the financial uh, information is available for a further breakdown for, you know, by revenue for product line, division, so on, um, you can use that. But, but generally, I start with reviewed or, or audited financials. Okay. And then um, my second question, when I think of income statement, I typically think of it, it's like an annual snapshot, right? Comparison of period of time. So I'm thinking year by year by year. Do you want to see more of a detailed breakdown? Are you looking more for the historical cash flow to see what was happening quarter over quarter, month over month, or is year by year fine? What do you do? Um, year by year, I think is fine um, for past financial information. Okay. Um, when I think about stress testing financials, it's hard to think about a more important ratio or ratios um, than gross margin and operating, um, or sorry, um, profit margin. Profit margin. If, if, you, have, if you have sound uh, gross margin and, and profit margin uh, consistently, you're, you're generally going to have a healthy uh, business. But essentially, I would, I would plot out the historical performance, um, understanding revenues, understanding direct expenses, understanding overhead. So you're getting that gross margin percentage and profit margin percentage and really understand trends. So, you know, say year three to four revenues went up. Why, why did they go up? Um, understanding those past trends will really help you understand potentially, you know, how to, how to avoid any of those hiccups in the future. Uh, might also give you some ideas about opportunities about improving your, your income statement yeah. as well. I think that's huge. I think that being able to articulate why numbers have done what they've done up or down. I, you know, I know some of the clients that I've worked with, I see this beautiful little bucket called miscellaneous 
or other expenses, both in revenue and expenses, and then trying to get the the founder to articulate, well, what is that? It's, you know, usually it's the deer in the headlights look. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance because I know um, some people are going to be like, oh my gosh, why are we doing this? I just want to clarify gross profit, right, is the number when we take all of our income, we subtract our cost of goods or our direct costs, we're left with gross profit. And then from that, we subtract our operating expenses, then we're left with net profit, aka the bottom line. And I, I'm a big fan of that bottom line, you know, people can talk all they want to to me about top line or oh, yeah, our gross profit is this and I just want to see that bottom line to make sure that everything's adding up because if the bottom line isn't there, the business isn't there. So. And, and, the, and the main reason I get into past financial um, results when it comes to income statement is to really understand are there areas of financial difficulty, yes. um, you know, is, is pricing being squeezed due to competition? Are direct expenses increasing over time due to, uh, I guess, pricing from suppliers? But really understanding what, what are those potential um, areas that, that may be causing, I guess, financial stress. Yeah. And eventually, once, once you have that plotted out and you understand um, you know, your financial performance over time, then you're getting into financial projections. Generally, you want to have at least a one-year outlook when it comes to projections. Um, but I've seen many times where, you know, a company creates a projection and you see the, the classic, you know, hockey stick curve where revenues all of a sudden, you know, go, go up. Um, you see, you know, um, historically, um, uh, times when you have, um, um, trying to think of the terminology here, <laughs> uh, gross margin, you might have gross margin where say you're at 25%, uh, but all of a sudden you have a projection where it jumps at 30. So I guess the reason I would really encourage companies to analyze historic trends because that knowledge can then be brought forward to make a realistic projection going forward. Yeah, I think that's huge. I think, it, you know, it, again, the clients that I've worked with in the last 10 years, and I know you work with large enterprise. Um, it's been my experience that the vast majority of businesses are generating less than a 3% net profit. And then you actually start to, you know, ask them or push them on, you know, are you taking a fair market salary, right? Are you accounting for this expense, that expense? And once we start to add that, into the mix, we recognize that they're either like barely breaking even or unfortunately in a deficit position. I think this is why two weeks into COVID, we saw the collapse that we did because the net profit wasn't there. So I love what you're suggesting with respect to that historical performance. I love to call it the highways and the hazards, right? What was working, what was not working, like what do we need to avoid or what do we need to you know, rebuild if, uh, if we need to do that? So, um, so, so far we, we, our process, that's the one thing I do that, you know, we're, we're in line with. And now you take it into a whole different, um, a whole different stratosphere by actually now doing the what ifs and the projections, right, going forward. So is this where you would, is this then where you would suggest like a, a cash flow forecast that they can start to now plot their anticipated revenue and anticipated expenses? Is that the first step? So, so what I'm referring to is a, a projection on an income statement level to start. Oh, still, okay. Yeah. Okay. And essentially, um, 
you know, you want to use that projection as a tool. And so, so a few comments there. Um, generally, if you have a year-long projection, you want to have up-to-date financial financial information comparing to that projection. So every month, ideally, you'd have that that uh, projection broken out by month. And every month that you operate and you finalize your financials for that month, you're replacing the projection month with actuals. And you're always doing a comparison um, of, of projection to actuals to see, you know, where did I, where did the company go wrong? Why were revenues lower than expected? And that, that, that is real time information. And it, it allows you to keep on top of potential financial issues as they arise. So that's one thing is a comparison of, uh, of, of uh, actuals to, to projections on a monthly basis. And the other, the other thing I would say is when you're creating that projection, you want to write out your assumptions. You want detailed assumptions because you, if, you, if you're um, estimating an increase in revenue or, or an improvement in um, gross margin, you want to have sound reasons why you think that's valid. And, and getting into, you know, management decisions, getting into reporting to financial institutions, um, having that sound projection with, with solid assumptions is, is very important. Okay. And so I, what I just want to um, reiterate there, because I, I, I believe it's, it's super important, everything's super important, but for the founder, we're going to take the projection, we're going to build the projection, and then we're going to replace that month of projections with the actuals. So we see how everything gets impacted at the end of the year. What is this going to look like? And do we need to pivot or do we need to make some adjustments based on the projections that we have for the months going forward, but the months that we're actually experiencing in the present? Yes, yeah, so that's as, as you operate, you want to, you want real, uh, uh, I guess, uh, at a point in time, you want to see where you are compared to okay. your original projection. Beautiful. And, and, and back to, um, you know, drafting the projection. And this is what you were alluding to earlier. Um, this is where you can start to get, have some fun with your projection and start looking at scenario analysis. So, you know, you may look at, um, you know, your scenario analysis may look at different triggers to say, okay, what if I experienced a five or 10 or 15% drop in revenue uh, this particular year? What would or that 80. be? With COVID. Yeah. What would do? Uh, what would that do to my gross margin? What would that do to my uh, to my um, profit margin as well? Yeah. Yeah. And then you you work down the line. You know, what if what if you lost a key customer? What if you have economic dependence on one large customer and that customer walked away? You could see a much larger uh, decrease in revenue. Yeah. And so you want to see the impacts of those. Um, you can do the same thing with direct expenses. So if prices go up, um, charged by a key supplier, how does that impact your gross margin and bottom line? Um, you can keep it at a more high level and just play with the gross margin percentage. That may be an easier way to um, look at alternatives. And, and then don't forget about overheads as well. So you might have a sound um, gross margin, but you know if your place of business, if your rent's going up, Payroll is always going up. You know, people, uh, people. Um, you know, you have to pay people well to keep them. So often, your payroll increases over time. So, mm -hmm. really understanding um, where those costs are going, or that, where your revenue projections are going, um, and 
potential potential increases or decreases to those. I think it's beneficial to understand what sort of scenarios you might be facing in, a, in an upcoming year. And, and COVID is a prime example, right? You have, you know, uh, in January of 2020, no one really thought that we would see the impacts that we have on, on uh, you know, company yeah. performance due to, due to uh, COVID and the related, uh, I guess, restrictions. Yeah. Well, I had to, you know, I, I smiled there. I had a little chuckle because you were talking about how it starts to get fun. And I can appreciate that because I, I love numbers. And I think it, it is true. I know a lot of founders are like, what do you mean? Fun numbers, fun doesn't, you know, they, they, yeah. it doesn't commute, but um, it, I think that, uh, I think to your point, once you get the work done of getting the numbers in there, just even making sense of your numbers between either your notice to readers or whatever, you know, is, is happening in your accounting system where you can start to break out some of these revenue streams. Um, once you get the numbers in to the, the, the cash flow, and, and we are going to download um, or we've made available, it's in the show notes, is a, a cash flow template. So that's there for you. So now there's no excuses, founders who are watching and listening. But once you get the numbers in, Neil, to your point, it does, you, you know, it's very easy for you to actually then say, okay, well, what if revenue was to drop off? What if this revenue went up, but these products went down? What if we created a hybrid of, of product and service and started to, you know, kind of rejig our, our actual revenue model on that line? So it becomes really easy for you to run these scenarios. And, um, and, and I'll just add there, the key to scenario testing is not, you know, not the doomsday scenario of what's going to happen to my business if yes. revenues drop 20%. It's really understanding the levers you have available. So if your revenue drops 20%, what options are available to you? Do you have, you know, options to improve pricing strategy to, to, you know, make your pricing more, I guess, aligned with market? Um, can you diversify to uh, um, remove some economic uh, dependence on one big or large customer? Um, you know, you can get into overhead expenses. Often overhead is related to, you know, rent, or payroll, which are two large um, expense items. Yeah. But but understanding what levers you might have available, you might be able to, you know, hate to say it, but you know, make your operation a little bit leaner, um, or have the option to do that if if one of those scenarios were to come into fruition. Right. So and it's about planning. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the, the levers are probably endless. I, I think about equipment, right? I think about a lot of founders where their equipment isn't 100% utilized right now, even 80%, it might be sitting at 30 or 40, and they've got the carrying costs on that, and they're not doing anything with it. I think you bring up a really um, a, a really good point, though, too, just on the, the human capital side of things. And with the scenario testing is understanding the, uh, what is it, the, the CEBA, the Comer uh, Canadian Emergency uh, Business Account, right? And accessing those funds, ac accessing the wage subsidies and putting that in there and then understanding the impact of that and potentially how to then utilize that cash, how to best utilize that cash versus right. just taking it in. And we had an interesting conversation around, around that money, it being a, a loan, right? Yeah. We're not entirely sure if promissory or personal guarantees are attached to it or not. Um, but yeah, it's our responsibility to make sound decisions with that money that's coming in. Right. Yeah. The SIBA is a loan and part portion of it is forgivable, but uh, it's a loan that will eventually need to be 
repaid. And you may make a good point around the uh, emergency wage subsidy. Um, if that if that subsidy is is being collected, you know, understand what operations would look like if it wasn't collected. That's that's a that's a great example of a scenario analysis. And and the reason I guess I think this is such a, a valuable uh, process, you know, you have you have historical trends, you have a projection that you can update, you know, monthly uh, with actual as 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 your you know operations move forward but you can also analyze through that uh, excel workbook impact that these scenarios have on key financial ratios All right, welcome back founders. We're here for part two of stress testing our numbers. We're joined by uh, Nail the Numbers Pro, Neil Jones, Senior VP with Financial Recovery Services with BDO Canada. So welcome back, Neil. Portion Thanks. number two, you're still with us, so that's great. Um, now you, you had a perfect segue for us because in our first segment, we were talking about stress testing. We're talking about building the pro forma. And so once that is done, and once we've looked at a couple different scenarios and situations that might come up, you let us into now understanding that outside of that forecast, we should be testing some key ratios that will help us better understand exactly what the, the health and viability of our business look like. So what would those key ratios be and how do we go about doing that? So the, the key ratios it depends on the type of business, obviously. And you know, when I when I'm asked, I guess where, when I think about where I would start, I think the best place to start would be um, understanding um, the agreements that you have with your financial institutions and what debt covenants may be in place. And often, financial institutions would include um, ratios as part of their covenants. For example, current ratio or quick ratio, um, they would be examples of what I would call liquidity ratios. Um, they may also include what I would call leverage ratios, which, um, you know, examples of those that I often see would be debt service coverage ratio uh, or uh, debt to equity, which is is, uh, is a leverage, issue, uh, leverage ratio. Some people call it a gearing ratio as well. Okay. So to start off, um, current ratio is essentially current assets over current liabilities. Um, it's, it's essentially also a way of um, looking at the health of, of working capital. Um, generally, if, if you know, there, there's various ways, sometimes there's different ways people calculate this ratio, but you know, to simplify it, it's usually current assets divided by current liabilities. And if, if the ratio is higher than one, then essentially more often than not, your, your current ratio or your liquidity, your working capital is in a positive position. Sometimes um, banks or financial institutions may take it a step further and look at quick, the quick ratio. And the quick ratio um, is essentially the same as the current ratio, except from the current assets, you remove inventory. And inventory is often considered to be less liquid. 
Um, so it's, it's a way to, uh, kind of similar to how it's named, but a way to assess liquidity with more liquid assets. So cash, securities, um, AR over your current liabilities. Okay. Um, and, and so just to clarify liquidity, solvency, right? Ability to, ability to, to service debt and to stay operational. It's it's more, um, I guess, uh, looking at your the company's ability to um, finance its working capital. So it's more the current part of the balance sheet. Okay. And so yeah. then when you're talking about doing these calculations with ratios, we're using present day numbers, not necessarily the forecasted numbers. We we would use, you, you can use either. So you would, you would want to assess it uh, you know, your uh, company's financial performance. So what it's actually, how performance actually, I guess, uh, unfolded, yeah. uh, so it would be passed. But, you know, in your projection, you'd also want to look, given current, current trends and, you know, assumptions that you have built into your projection, you want to, you want to build in, you know, based on those projections, how would my, or how would the company's um, ratios be impacted? Okay. And then just to clarify assets outside of your, your quick ratio where you take out your inventory, how do you recognize asset? I, it's my understanding it's, it has a specific uh, value attached to it at, within a year. What, so you talked about accounts receivable, talked about cash on hand. Uh, what else would you consider an asset? So for the, for the um, current ratio, it's current assets over or divided by current liabilities and generally current assets are cash and cash equivalents okay ar inventory and you might see some other items there like prepaid expenses for example over current liabilities and and you could you could keep it um working cap working capital focus so current liabilities would mainly include accounts payable related to um, your, your operations. Sometimes, um, the calculation may change and, and other current, um, payables are included like current principal payments, for example, on debt. But generally speaking, it's more often than not used as a working, working capital ratio. Okay. Uh, and silly question. I know there's no such thing as silly questions, but are we taking equipment and property into account here too? Any equity built up in uh, generally, no, not for the current ratio, not for the quick ratio. Those are assets or uh, equipment's usually considered, uh, um, I guess, non-current assets would be the okay. Thank you for that. And so, what um, what ratio are we looking at when it comes to quick? Are we looking for that same, the the one higher than one? If you have higher than one, you're likely in a good situation because okay. you're able to meet your current obligations with your liquid current assets. If it's 0.8, for example, um, you're pro probably still in a pretty good position because you do have inventory as well. And obviously a business's goal would be to turn inventory into a final product. It's just a quick ratio is just a way to assess liquidity, I guess, in a more, I guess, um, with, with, with short-term liquid assets rather than looking at something like inventory, which may be sitting in a yard for, for a certain amount of time. Okay. All right. So we're doing the quick, we're doing the current, and then what other 
key ratio do you think is important for us to measure? Often I see financial institutions use what I would refer to as um, leverage ratios. Okay. So the debt service service coverage ratio, that's where you're looking at um, net operating income. Um, and that is often um, measured through EBIT, which is earnings before interest and taxes. So essentially you're taking your bottom line, your net income, adding back interest and taxes, and it gives you, it's referred to as EBIT, but it's, it's, uh, it's I guess you can refer to it as a um, income from operations. Okay. That is divided by your debt, um, your current debt service costs. So that would be interest and principal payments due in the current period. Okay. And current period is uh, obviously when they're doing this ratio, what, what they have outstanding. Yeah. So current period would usually be within the fiscal year. Fisc so, okay. All yeah. right. So, and generally with that ratio, um, DSCR, if, if the ratio is more than one, that generally means you're generating enough income from operations to pay your debt costs, interest. Okay. And if it's below one, then that's when you're getting into a risky area because you're not generating enough income from operations to pay your current debt obligations. Okay. So we're looking for, uh, we're looking for below and you used an acronym there. DSCR? DSCR is the acronym for debt service coverage ratio. Awesome. Okay. So we're clear on that. So we've got these three ratios. Do the math, get the calculations, get your ratios in place, understand where you're at. Um, now, what is the, uh, the, the, do we want to call them um, themes that you're seeing in these ratios, these numbers? And then what do we do about it if these Ratios don't look good for us right now. I imagine through COVID, you know, they're they're probably not ideal. I could be wrong, but um, what do you see happening quite often when people do this math? Uh, yeah, and before before I get there, I, there's one other leverage ratio that I do see that I would want to talk about a little bit, and that's that's debt to equity. I do see that a little bit. Right. Um, a lot of people refer to that as a gearing ratio, but it essentially it, it measures how much of a company's operations is being financed by debt versus equity or in in-house sources. Oh. So, so it's on a bank banks would look generally at that uh, often when they're looking at, should we, should the bank invest or loan a company more money? If, if they have a high gearing ratio, meaning they're financing more of their operations with debt, they may be reluctant to lend more. So startups obviously are going to have, they're going to, their number is going to be high, right? Because it's primarily operated through debt. Unless they have a large capital injection or funding, yeah, that 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 could be the case for sure. Right. Sorry. So that would be equity funding, I'm guessing, right? Because otherwise, it's yeah. Okay. Yeah, capital injection. I would I would refer to say um, an equity investor. Right. Yeah. Okay. So and for those so of you that are in startup mode, recognize that that ratio is going to be a little skewed. But I think you 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 know you bring up a really good point, Neil. I know a lot of people. A lot of founders that I have worked with um, oftentimes, unfortunately, turn to additional loans as band-aids and ways to, to make it through, you know, it, as I'm trying to say, find ways to make more revenue so that you can, you know, get through in business. It, it's, uh, it's, it's a disservice to just continue to go after 
to go after loans. And obviously now when they're doing this cost or when they're doing the ratio, when a lender is doing this ratio, it is going to impact their ability to borrow because the ratio is skewed, debt to equity, right? Or gear, gear ratio. Gearing ratio. Gearing and there's ratio. other types of gearing ratios as well, but you know you can get uh, with all these ratios, you can get much more complicated. But um, yeah, often I see financial institutions if if a gearing ratio is poor or higher 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 the ratio, the worse or the more operations are financed through debt. Yeah. Often financial institutions would either not lend if that's high or require a capital injection before they would put more money in, in terms of, in, in the form of a loan. Okay. Yeah. Well, good to and, know. And, Thanks for adding that one. No problem. And, and I guess you, you had that segue into uh, common themes and being, being a uh, restructuring professional, I, I, I do see some common themes from time to time. Um, one, one, uh, common theme and, and it's, it's, it's a good summary, um, or tie back to the initial discussion we had about analyzing historical trends and creating a, uh, sound, uh, financial projection. But I often see companies coming to me and saying, here's my reviewed financial statements, um, I'm not making money. I don't understand why. And, and the financial statements may be six months old. It's, you know, often to wait for an audit or review, it's usually dated information. So I often see companies don't have up to date financial information to help them make sound financial decisions. So that's probably, that's probably theme one. So as much as you can roll your sleeves up, get, get dirty with, uh, you know, get your hands dirty in Excel yes. and, and try to stay on top of your financial projection, comparing actuals to projections on a monthly basis. That's huge. Uh, That's so important. I absolutely agree. It's four months after year end when they look at the document, right? And they're like, oh, you know, we didn't even come close to hitting the profit we thought we exactly. hit. Exactly. And, and sometimes, right. sometimes uh, companies might, you know, if it's a smaller company might not know how the year ended until until that statement is, is uh, or at least know exactly how to year end it until that statement's produced. Yeah. Um, so timely financial information is one theme. Uh, another theme I would see, I see often in, um, in, in times when uh, companies are in financial stress is, is reporting to the financial institution um, goes dark. So companies are feeling pressure and they don't report. And that, that obviously makes financial institutions, um, uh, what's the proper term, nervous. Mm -hmm. um, they want to understand how the company is performing. And so they may take action. So I guess my, my, my advice there would be, even if you are uh, performing poorly as a business or, or not as well as you did in the past, it's always important to report. And there, there are ways you can improve import, uh, reporting as well. Um, instead of just reporting financial performance, you can report also um, restructuring steps that you've taken to date. You can report um, restructuring options that management is um, analyzing and looking into to determine if those steps would, would improve uh, financial performance going forward. So, so there's ways to report that would 
um, I guess, signal to the financial institution that, you know, management's on top of this and, and they do, they're doing the best they can to try yeah. to, uh, to manage the situation. I think you bring up a, a really important point to just clarify for founders. I know that some of them are going to be listening to this saying, well, you know, my, my only obligation really is to, or in their, in their perception is that their only obligation is to repay the principal and the interest based on the terms of the agreement. I know with my lender hat on, it was every three months we were looking for that specific report, show us what the projection was, how you're meeting projection or how you're pivoting um, going forward. But I, for those lenders who have not um, who have not defined a reporting process that gets attached to that loan, I I, I really I appreciate what it is that you're saying because I think that many even in the event that they're not able to to pay or service that debt, they go dark like you said. But taking a proactive approach and before you get to that point, even if they haven't requested the report reach out to those account reps that, you know, that you, you signed those agreements with and just say, listen, you know, we're doing the math. So that's going to be a pleasant surprise for most of these lenders to start off with. We're doing the math. Here's what it looks like. Scenario one, scenario two, scenario three, you know, what can we do? What, what are the workarounds if we do find ourselves stuck in some of these scenarios? So, you know, how we started this off that proactive, um, approach to to your numbers and your finances so that's really valuable usually a um a requirement within debt agreements is to report at least annually um i've seen quarterly uh, reporting requirements and and if if um if a company's performance um i guess uh, uh deteriorates compared to historical trends then then banks may require more frequent reporting like a monthly report for example and obviously, those statements wouldn't be wouldn't be reviewed or audited. It would be right. internal financials, exactly. but 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 there's more, I guess, timely reporting requirements. Beautiful. So yeah, staying on top of it, right? Which is the, the point that you were talking about: staying on top of your numbers, getting those numbers in, not waiting till three months after your end to look at the notice to reader to file the report. Um, you know what kind of came to mind, and I don't know if I should bring it up, but I will talk about it in case anybody else is. Um, experience this. I have a few clients who their loans have been called, even though there were terms attached to them, right? It's overnight, it's we need the 1.5 back. And um, I don't know, obviously, that's a scenario to potentially plug in to that first segment that we talked about. But um, I, I don't know in your experience, Neil, is, is there any way to, to mitigate that that risk of having a loan called despite you maintaining or keeping up with the 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 uh, the agreement um meeting your your covenants are important um uh, maintaining re you know reporting to your financial institution very important um financial institutions can often be um almost like a team player for a company they 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 will work with you even 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 in times when you know things might not be going well. If you're honest up front and, and taking proactive steps, I've often seen financial institutions working with companies to help help them turn Beautiful. things around. Um, what you ask about the demand loan is, is a good segue into the third segment where we get into restructuring options. Um, but, you know, I guess some of the other common themes that I would see, um, if a company does have liquidity issues, 
So if you're at the stage where creditors are knocking on the door, asking for payment, if you're falling behind on payment, you're not generally able to make payments as they become due. That's when you want to get into a more detailed cash flow projection. And that's where, you know, if possible, you're creating a cash flow by week. I know that sounds, that sounds like a lot of detail, but by week and generally we would recommend for a 13 week cash flow, which is generally one quarter. Um, but that's also a very valuable tool. Um, when you get into liquidity issues, having that detail for a cash flow projection will allow, uh, what it does is allows you to understand when the cash crunch will happen. It may happen, say, in week four, week five. So you can plan for that. So you may be able to uh, manage your working capital a little bit. You might be able to try to collect AR early. You might be able to negotiate alternative payment uh, terms with your suppliers. But you, you, you understand when that cash crunch is, is coming and you are able to plan for it. Um, you may also know, um, you know if, if that's not an option working capital management, you might uh, be able to know when and how much you need to go seek additional financing because that, that could be an option or how much you need for a capital injection to get you through this uh, cash flow crunch. So I think, I think uh, cash flow projection, different from the financial statement projection, mm -hmm. but in times of liquidity challenges, mm -hmm. that cash flow uh, projection is, is valuable. Do the math. And, um, and another, another theme that I've seen um, in, in, I guess, experiences has been um, what I would call um, um, a, a borrowing-based calculation or um, a financial institution starts requiring margining for a line of credit or a revolver. So you might have a company that say has a line of credit with a million dollar limit and the company uses that revolver or a line of credit to manage working capital. Um, Happens you all might, the time. you might see, um, certain triggers. It might be a period of time. It might be some other trigger where the bank say, at a certain time requires a borrowing based calculation or a margining requirement. And in those circumstances, the financial institution would change the amount of limit on your line of credit for each month going forward based on a calculation or based calculation. And that calculation is often um, what I've seen in the past is often um, determined by good AR and inventory. So Neil, I think what, cause this has happened probably six or seven times this year for me with clients that are like, all of a sudden my line of credit is impacted. I don't understand what's going, especially with a lot of the, it seems like a lot of financial institutions now will issue these visas too. And, and the Canadian emergency business account, but these right. visas and, and they're like, I used to have access to this much. Now I don't have access to this much. Now they're calling this. So, just so what I'm hearing you say is so that business owners and founders can really understand this. What is happening is that these lenders have been looking at your usage of that line of credit. And then depending on the, uh, the, the receivables or the revenue 
that is coming in. And through COVID, I would imagine that for many business owners, that has started to dissipate. So this is affecting that ratio, which is now triggering, it's probably just a, you know, an automatic trigger. It's probably, you know, it's just an algorithm that goes, ah, and it starts to decrease that access to that line of credit that they thought they had. And so now this is further compounding the stress. So that's, and that is called the margin. What it, it's sorry. what I would often call a borrowing base calculation borrowing base or, or a margin requirement. Um, and it, it may be as simple as time, you know, um, a bank or financial institution may provide a line of credit that for the first year is a, is a fixed limit. And then after okay. year one, it moves into that borrowing base calculation requirement. Um, and, and usually what I see, like I said, it's, it's based on good AR and good inventory. So it would be AR under 90 days, for example, Okay. And, and a certain percentage of inventory. I often see 50% because inventory is a little harder to, to age. Is it um, turning over inventory? Or it's just inventory. It's, it's inventory that would be turning over Turn, with. Okay. Your so they're product. taking all of that. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and obviously that line of credit balance or limit, sorry, would fluctuate month to month based on a previous month's borrowing base calc. So if you're, you can see how this can compound an issue because if, if revenue is starting to be impacted by say COVID measures or COVID response measures um, and, and, you know, uh, revenue is going down that impacts your AR, which all of a sudden impacts your borrowing limit. And it's almost like a domino effect. Yeah. So it's yeah. something to really watch out for. So it comes back to this message of being proactive, staying on top of your numbers, taking ownership. This isn't something that we delegate out. This is something, you know, to your point of that weekly cash flow. I mean, founders I know would rather go to the dentist than look at their, look at their numbers every month. But this is what it's getting down to, right? And this is really the opportunity that COVID's presented us with. Is you know, the more often we do this, the more comfortable it becomes. The more comfortable right. it becomes, the you know, the the better off everybody's at. So um, let's wrap this session up. I know there's a lot of information there for everyone. What I do want to say, what I've taken away from this, Neil, is um, obviously lots of you know lots of extremely valuable information with respect to the ratios and that weekly cash flow staying on top of these numbers we looked at lots of considerations but not going dark communicating and as you were talking about this too i know this is why you are here and your team you're here to help people through understanding this math understanding these options and of course the episode champion came to mind community futures right? These are lenders. And oftentimes we, you know, as founders, we don't turn to lenders until it's last minute, but especially offices like Community Futures that are there to support you through this, right? They're friendlies in all of this. They're advocates. They're there to make sure that um, businesses sustain through COVID. This is the win-win-win. Our community needs it. Our country needs it, right? We we need small business and we need our economy to turn back up so it doesn't do anybody any good if businesses are shutting down. So just please, please, please do the math, own your numbers, take ownership of it. Okay, so that's a wrap for segment two. Thank you, thank you, Neil, for, for staying the course with us. We're gonna come back for segment three, which is really about reinvention and it, you know, when we can turn things around, how we can turn things around, what are the options? If these numbers aren't looking good, what can we do? and uh, how can we see it?
through. So thank you, everybody. Uh, before I forget, if you look at the show notes below, you're going to see uh, Neil's contact information. You're also going to see information to reach out to your community future office. And please, please, please download the tools. We don't have the weekly cash flow, but we do have a monthly cash flow. And you can replace months with weeks. That's an easy fix. So don't let that be your scapegoat for not doing it. That's super easy. All right, we'll see you back here for uh, segment number three, which is all about our reinvention. Bye. Hi, founders, welcome back. We are here for segment three of Stress Testing Our Numbers. This segment is really all about understanding what some of our options are when it comes to the reinvention process. And back with us, we kept him here, is Neil Jones, Senior Vice President with Financial Recovery Services, BDO Canada. So Neil, you've shared with us so much information, so appreciative. I know there's uh, there's a lot there for people to process, but as we were just talking about, take what lands with you right now. Don't let this overwhelm you. Just one step at a time, one baby foot in front of the other. Don't look at the mountain, just head down one step at a time. Um, and so now we're going to be exploring some options. But let's talk about you wanted to talk about how do we know what options to explore? What are those triggers? How do we even know, you know, what's going to prompt us into exploring options? So maybe share some of those with us if you wouldn't mind. Right. So I guess as a way to sort of turn the discussion to restructuring options, sometimes um, you need other interventions to to basically turn around a company. It it needs a restructuring per se. Um, first, I identified some triggers that I think would be helpful for companies to help them determine hey, maybe a restructuring is required here. Um, some of those could be tied to, um, you know, um, liquidity ratios that we already talked about. Mm -hmm. If a company is having difficulty managing its cash flow, um, paying, paying obligations as they become due, um, that could be signified with, um, you know, the, the current ratio is, is below one. The quick ratio is, is further below one. Um, or creditors are starting to knock on a door demanding payment and you, the company doesn't have the funds to pay them. So that, that, that's a trigger. Um, the, a lot of the other triggers um, are sort of tied to your financial lender. Um, so if you're having trouble um, servicing your debt, so going back to the DSCR ratio, uh, debt service coverage ratio. If you're not generating enough cash flow from operations to service your debt, your in in interest and principal payments, that's likely a sign that if you can't turn things around on the income statement quick, quickly, um, you may need to think about restructuring. Um, again, tied to um, financial, financial institutions, if, if you're, if your loans are up for refinancing and you're having trouble refinancing your debt with your current lender, or if you're having trouble finding alternative financing, so having a replacement financial institution for your debt, that, that could be a trigger that, you know, it's time to think about a restructuring. Uh, you, could have, you could have a breach of covenant with your existing institution. 
Um, you were going to say something, sorry? Well, I was just, um, I did have a question there. And as you were talking, then I was thinking about oftentimes, again, founders sometimes leave this to it's till it's too late. And as you were walking through these triggers, I could see early stage triggers, medium stage triggers. And then when those calls are coming in, that's a late stage trigger. Um, but I did, I had a question on the debt servicing because I know that uh, you know, we, we often hear this term out there, um, asset rich, cash poor, and it, it doesn't always necessarily pertain to the business itself. But I do know, I do know of many businesses that you know, they've got personal assets that they can use. They might be sitting on a tremendous amount of land that you know, is, is valued at 5 million and, and it's not part of, it's not owned by the business, but it's a, it's a personal asset. At what point, and maybe this is beyond the scope of this call, actually, now that I'm talking about this, but I know that oftentimes, rather than doing the math and doing the numbers, they'll take personal assets and they'll start throwing them at the business just to survive. Would you recommend actually finding a way to restructure the business as an operation, like the, the entity itself, finding a way to restructure it before we start taking personal assets and throwing those into the business? Or again, if it's beyond the scope of this call, let me know. Well, often if you have, back to your example, um, you know, uh, a, an owner who is asset rich outside of the company, instead of actually cashing those assets, so selling a piece of land and bringing those funds into the company, um, you may be able to work out some sort of um, mm-hmm get personal guarantee with your financial financial institution. Okay. So the institution knows that you have a certain asset that's valuable and they, they would basically ask that you give a personal guarantee um, that acts as uh, leverage or no leverage collateral for, uh, for the loan that's being placed to the company. Gotcha. And there will be requirements that you can't go and sell that piece of asset for example, uh, you right. know, there, there, there may be some requirements like that, but, but that may, may be an option instead of selling the asset. Okay. Okay. Sorry to derail that conversation. It's just it, what came to mind as I was thinking about several clients that are in that position now. So we've got those triggers. And um, so I guess taking action sooner rather than later. The first option, you talked a little bit about some of maybe the informal options that are right. at our disposal. Right. So I, I guess a lot of people in my industry break down the restructuring process in, into two, two areas or two, two alternatives. Um, you can go through an informal restructuring process or a formal restructuring process. And just to walk some through some examples on the informal side, um, if you are if you if your balance sheet, for example, is in relatively good shape, but you're not uh, performing well on your income statements, so you're not generating good bottom line or uh, gross profit or uh, gross margin, um, you may be able to take certain steps like um, you know leaning um, leaning your operations, so cutting certain costs. Um, you may be able to um, discontinue certain product lines that are not profitable or certain divisions, for example. Um, that would be, I guess, informal uh, restructuring option examples uh, when it comes to the income statement. Um, when you look at the balance sheet, you could have you know, a common theme here in our discussion. You could have liquidity issues 
So you could have cash flow issues, which are evident um, on the balance sheet. We talked about current ratio before. So you could take certain measures there. You could, um, and I think I mentioned some of these before, but you could try to um, you know, quicken your collection of AR, for example, as an obvious one. You could try to negotiate um, more favorable terms with your uh, suppliers, your AP creditors. Um, you could reduce inventory. If you have old aged inventory, that's redundant. Instead of hanging on to it, you could sell it likely at a loss compared to what was paid, but maybe that uh, lower amount of cash in hand would really be valuable at this point in time to help you with the company with its liquidity issues. So those are, those are examples on the liquidity side. On the leverage side, so if your balance sheet is over leveraged, you could negotiate um, more favorable terms with your financial institution. And just to um, clarify, over leverage means carrying a lot of debt, right? Hard to service the debt at this point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And or you can look at, um, you know, refinancing the debt with another institution that might have might provide more favorable terms. Okay. Um, or you could look at, you know, uh, similar to inventory, you could let, look at, for example, selling redundant long term assets or, or non current assets like like um, equipment um, that's not being used uh, currently for operations. So there's some, there's some informal steps you can take. Um, often though, informal uh, restructuring may not be an option. And, and sir, you, you mentioned it earlier, if a financial institution provides a demand for a loan. Generally, if, if there's a uh, demand notice um, usually the company has a certain time period to act often as 10 days. And so to actually negotiate informally to restructure your balance sheet is impossible within 10 days. So that's where you get into uh, formal restructuring options. Um, formal restructuring options, um, you know, your founders may have heard of these, but there's two generally. The first is uh, a company may file a notice of intention to file a proposal, which is uh, under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act. The, the other uh, statute that your founders may have heard of is the Companies Creditors Arrangement Act or the CCAA. And uh, a company could make an application to file a plan of arrangement um, under the CCAA. Um, to, to stay high level, um, both those statutes are what we call debtor in possession. So that means the debtor remains in control of the assets. Operations usually continue. Okay. Um, they also, the statutes also provide what is called a stay of proceedings. So essentially it's like a timeout. So if, if a company files a notice of intention to uh, file a proposal under the BIA, once that notice of intention is filed, there's an automatic state of proceedings. There's a timeout. So essentially allows the company time to put together a proposal to be considered by creditors. And Do that, I dare ask, is this what we call Chapter 11? Or is that American that's terminology? The, that's in the U.S. Yeah, okay. that's in the U.S. Okay. Um, but, but that timeout, Essentially, the way that's essentially high level, the way it's essentially um, the way it works is at the time of filing, any debt that's owing at that point in time 
is captured and then the company would continue operating and pay for its current obligations as they become due. And eventually the idea is that the company would approach creditors with a, with a proposal and the proposal usually incorporates a compromise of debt and compromise of debt may, may be extending the time period in which it's going to be paid. It may reduce the amount that's going to be paid overall, or it could be a combination of the two, but usually there's a compromise of debt there. Um, can, I ask you, uh, can I ask you a question on that? Just my yeah, head's, yeah. my head is, is, is wrapping around this concept here, but I'm thinking of companies like um, Aldo or uh, Le Chateau. So all these companies have filed the, the, the protection, right? Bankruptcy protection. Does, is that also, is that a consumer proposal? Like, are they, is this the same scenario or is that a different scenario that we're seeing with companies that are still operating, but we know that they are in financial difficulty. They have announced that they have filed, but we still, you know, their doors are still open. Although we see the liquidation sale, is that what's happening here? And are they looking for other buyers? Is that another option that yes, we can try to service this debt or get as much as we in generate as much revenue as we can. So we, we reduce some of those debts, but in the same time, potentially look for a foreign international buyer that, that would be interested in acquiring, or am I in a different place? Uh, it, 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 it depends. Okay. <laughs> the, okay. I guess the, the answer, but generally a company that has filed a notice of intention to file a proposal. Well, the idea is that they continue to operate and the debts that are due at that point in time are captured in the proposal. So generally the proposal process brings creditors to the table okay. and they would consider a proposal because often the alternative is a liquidation or a bankruptcy. And so a creditor, for example, may, may receive their proposal and understand that in the proposal over time, we may receive 50 cents on the dollar, gotcha. but in a liquidation, a creditor may only receive 10 or 20 cents on the dollar. So it's a mechanism that allows uh, for negotiation and it allows um, creditors to um, really consider between uh, a few alternatives, usually continuing with compromised debt or liquidation. Sorry, that was a rabbit hole. I was just wrapping my wrapping my head around it. And it sounds like it would be fairly fluid, right? Or when you actually set that term, when you say, you know, you're agreeing to 20 cents on the dollar, do you actually, is that now contractual obligation that you're finding a way to get them 20 cents on the dollar? So once a, a proposal is filed, there's a meeting of creditors that is called, creditors come together and vote. And there's certain... Um, requirements to be met in order for the um, the proposal to pass or the plan of arrangement to pass. But generally speaking, creditors can vote in favor or reject. And depending on the outcome, that's that's if they vote to accept, then that proposal essentially becomes the new obligation that the company must meet going forward. Gotcha. Okay. So that's that's those are two options. Generally CCAA is used for larger corporations. So you need to have debt of over 5 million, 5 million or more for okay. it to be an option. Okay. The BIA proposal process is generally for smaller entities. 
Okay. All right. Um, and then, and then the other, um, I guess, option would be an orderly wind up of operations. So that's all bankruptcy under the BIA. And that's always an option of last resort. Um, okay. if a company is insolvent, um, essentially there are some benefits. However, um, if a company is insolvent, filing for bankruptcy allows for a orderly windup. So creditors are involved in the process. The assets are liquidated and divided amongst creditors according to a, a determined tier in the BIA. Okay. Um, it also uh, could allow some benefits to company owners. Uh, for example, director's liability. So if you're, if you're operating a company that's insolvent, directors are often personally liable for certain obligations like outstanding wages, um, amounts owed to CRA, like source deductions, mm -hmm. uh, HST or in, in Atlantic, I guess, GST, mm -hmm. uh, and provincial mm -hmm. tax in other provinces. Um, so filing a bankruptcy, for example, kind of puts a, it puts a cap on the amount owed. So it, if the company was allowed to sort of fizzle out, then without, without a bankruptcy filing that with interest that, for example, CRA would apply that director's liability can grow and grow. Right. And, and directors could be, I guess, on the hook for a larger liability. But correct so me if I'm wrong, just so everybody's clear on this. I, I don't, don't believe CRA negotiates on rate owed, maybe future interest is what you're saying. But if you owe the max, you owe the max, right? But you're saying that bankruptcy will stop the interest from compound or from growing. Yes, because because essentially debts are solidified or, or are determined based on the date of bankruptcy. Okay. So that brings up a, a really important point as we'll, as we'll wrap this up, everybody. I know this is a heavy conversation for a lot of people to take in, but I think it's important. It's important information to have. And I know a lot of people are intimidated to reach out, uh, you know, make the call, ask the questions because it's, um, yeah, it's cloaked in a lot of shame and secrecy and guilt. And so that's the whole idea of this episode. And um, now speaking about that, I'm, I, I forgot what my question was on this talk. Oh, I remember, well, Neil. There's, I remember. Also, there's also one thing I wanna, wanna cover as well is what I would perceive to be the pros and cons of informal versus formal. Okay, let's do it. So informal uh, restructuring, which I touched on earlier, likely the largest con is there's no mechanism that brings creditors, forces creditors to negotiate. They, you could negotiate informally with a creditor for a certain amount of time. And if they do not like the proposal, they can simply walk away. Um, that, that, that often uh, can be, it, it often can be complex to negotiate with creditors if there's a lot of creditors involved if there's different types of creditors, so you have different, you know, arrangements with different creditors, different, different complex uh, lend lending arrangements and so on. So th those would be generally the cons. The pros would be it's not as expensive as a formal restructuring process. Okay. And so if I move over to formal, what are the pros and cons? Generally, the BIA proposal process and the CCAA process are both court-driven. So therefore, it tends to be an expensive process. 
So yes, there is the stay of proceedings and a mechanisms in place to bring creditors to the table for, for a, a negotiation for a plan or, or a proposal, but um, it, is, it is going to be more costly. Do I dare ask where, who absorbs those costs? Where do those go? If we're already, you know, carrying the debt and we're, do they just get attached to the, um, uh, attached would, to the suit? The cost to actually uh, administer this process is generally uh, paid by the debtor. Um, and it's, you know, you, you, there are mechanisms in place, for example, an administration charge. So the court may approve an administration charge up to a certain dollar value for okay. professionals. Okay. But generally, if a company is able to file a plan or a proposal that's accepted, there is a compromise of debt. And generally, the, the um, professional fees, you know, they can mount up, but with the with the reductions of debt and the, uh, I guess the, the extra amount of time that may be available to pay that off, generally, generally professional fees um, are not. I guess uh, the 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 addition, the compromising of debt allows for more than enough. I guess to to cover professional okay. fees would probably be the way to put it. Okay, so to. Um, Back to that question, I'm curious now. It sounds like I know a lot of people wait till the very end to actually reach out, get the help that they need. From the content that you've provided today, it sounds like the sooner you get on top of this process, the sooner you explore your options, regardless of the impact, right? Regardless of whether you need to go informal, formal, the sooner you get on top of it, the more money you save, the more risk you mitigate, right? You're, you, you, the sooner you, you, you start all of this, the better off you are. And so reaching out sooner rather than later, obviously, is really what I'm trying to get to. Right. And yeah, I, I would encourage, you know, any company that if they're in financial stress to reach out to a professional and, and you know, it may it may take a professional three or four hours of reviewing financial information to understand that there are certain issues here and may be able to really outline what overall what your high level options may be. So before things go too far um, to allow chance for turnaround, I would certainly um, uh, recommend reaching out to a professional. The other, the other um, uh, points I would make, you mentioned don't wait and see, you know, take a proactive approach yeah. uh, as well as, you know, often, you know, when it comes to these restructuring alternatives, injecting more money, may not be the best idea because you may be able to restructure uh, and basically have a healthier company come out of the restructuring proceeding and then potentially have some some uh, capital injections at that point. Uh, Neil, I think that's such a, a perfect spot to end it on um, because I, I think that's important to realize throwing money at the problem isn't always necessarily the solution, right? So um, reach out sooner rather than later. Uh, Neil, BDO has offices across Canada, right? We're going to put your contact information down below. You're comfortable with people reaching out to you sure. if they have any yep. questions. And if, if it's not you, obviously you can direct them into the, the right spot. But please, 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 for those people watching or listening, um, you know, it is a painful time out there. You're not alone. There's a lot of people going through this right now. There's no shame in it. Um, let's just take ownership and be, you know, proactive with respect to 
uh, with respect to the, the situation. So um, please download the playbook. Everything we've talked about here is kind of spelt out for you step by step by step in the playbook. So you've got a copy of that. So you can put it right on your desk. Um, also, please, if there's another takeaway from this, get your numbers done, because even if you're going to reach out to Neil, or another member of his team, they're going <laughs> to, they need to see the numbers, whether it's the notice to readers or whatever you have in your accounting software, get those organized, stay on top of them. Um, so download the tools. And uh, just again, a shout out to, uh, to our episode champion, Community Futures of Saskatchewan, 13 offices across the province to support business owners. Neil, thank you. You shared so much information on a topic that's sticky for a lot of people and you've brought a lot of clarity to it. So thank you so much for investing your time with us here today for this episode. And thank you founders for watching. Look forward to seeing you in the Gap Lab again for the next episode. Until then, stay safe, stay strong and stay financially fierce. And now go nail your numbers. Bye for now.